All right, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I need Wayne's bell. So Wayne, did you bring your bell? That's good. All right. Welcome to um, winter or spring or whatever is going on. I think we had all four seasons within four days, right? We had Thursday was summer. Friday was spring. I started seeing things blossom. Uh, Yesterday was fall. And then we get snow today, and we're at winter, so we, we got it all covered. Lovely, yeah. We think we're done, but not yet. Well, it's uh, good to be here today. Uh, my name, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan Priggy, uh, and I've been asked to uh, teach uh, Sunday school for this coming quarter, so roughly about 13 weeks or so. I'm looking forward to doing this. Uh, I've come out of retirement. I think the last time I taught Sunday school was probably... 11, 12 years ago, um, down in Kansas City, I, I taught a young adult Sunday school class down there, so it's good to be yanked out of retirement and uh, put, put to use here uh, for, for our church. So um, looking forward to the study. As you can see from the overhead, we are going to be doing a bit of a dive into theology. I am by no means an expert theologian, um, so we're going to call this Theology 101, uh, because if, if I can do anything, I can keep it simple, and, and that's our hope. But uh, it's good to get in and get an understanding of what we believe, uh, good to review what we believe, and especially as a church body, hopefully we are all in line with the Word of God and some of these key beliefs. Um, let's see, a little bit more about me. I work at Mayo Clinic. I'm in one of their schools. I, when people ask me, they say, well, what do you do? I say, well, I work at Mayo Clinic. And a lot of times there's an assumption I'm in healthcare, and that would have been my assumption too. Uh, but they actually have a college at Mayo Clinic, and within that college they have five schools. And I work in the School of Health Sciences in the, the administration department. So once I tell them I'm, I'm at the college part of Mayo, they say, well, what do you teach? Well, I don't teach. That was my previous life. I, I did teach in Christian schools for 11 years. Um, and now I'm, I'm more on the administrative side of things. So it's, it's neat to see how the Lord uh, has used different experiences in my life to get me where I am today, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, just a couple of other disclosures here for you today. Um, I've, I've already alluded to this. I am, I am not seminary trained, all right? Uh, I'm thankful for those who go on to seminary, get their MDivs and uh, DMINs and all those other degrees. Um, but I did graduate from Pillsbury Baptist Bible College in 1999. So uh, anybody who goes through Pillsbury, they automatically take enough Bible credits to get a Bible major. Uh, so um, again, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I have had some exposure to God's Word and some classes along the line. So hopefully that gives you a little bit more comfort in terms of who's standing up in front of you. Uh, but please keep me honest. If, if I go astray, please let me know. But um, I'm going to do my due diligence to stay in line with what God's Word has said. Uh, so up in the front couple of tables here, I will say uh, everybody should grab our book that we will be working our way through uh, for the next quarter. Uh, it'd be good if we could maybe keep it to one per family, I think is what Pastor, thank you, Pastor, 
Pastor and John are um, going to go around and hand some of these out. And the book is called Christian Beliefs and uh, 20 Basics Every Christian Should Know. And so when uh, I talked to Pastor about what our Sunday school focus is going to be, uh, he's, I, I said I had an interest in theology and biblical worldview. Uh, these are a couple of passions of mine. And so I uh, worked with Pastor, and we settled on this book here. And once you get it, you'll see there are about 20 chapters. And uh, when I first got it, I'm like, okay, I've got 13 weeks and 20 chapters of theology. Uh, if you do the math there, um, that doesn't work out very well to have much, much of a look at theology. So he assured me, he said, it's okay. We can take this in years, not just weeks. So my goal probably for this first quarter of uh, what I'll be teaching here in 2023 will be probably to get through uh, maybe chapter four or five. So um, our, our opening study will take a look at the foundation of our faith, which is God's word. So we're going to look at the branch of theology called bibliology. And I, I imagine that's going to take us two or three weeks uh, to get into, into that. So looking forward to this study. Okay, so thank you, uh, gentlemen, for, for helping with that. Another resource I'm going to be used, which I have been using quite often, and I want to make available to you if you're not familiar with it, is a website called, called gotquestions.org. I don't know, have any of you ever used gotquestions.org before? Okay, a few of you have. It's, it's a great website, and um, <laughs> my father-in-law likes to say, Anything on the internet is true, with a bit of a smirk on his face, because you can, you can Google anything, you can look at anything, and you don't know what you're going to get, right? You don't know if it's going to be true, false, you hope it's true. Um, so I want to at least give you this, this resource, gotquestions.org. It's, it's a place I'm going to go to when I have questions, and they do a great job. I, we are familiar with the folks who oversee this ministry. It is a ministry, and that is to get the truth out and better understood for Christians, if, and really, the unsaved. It's a great opportunity. They've had so many uh, website views and, and hits. I think they've got a great outreach with this ministry. And again, a solid group of folks who, who organize this website. I think my wife actually went to school with the uh, founder of this website. Okay, and as I've already given you a little bit of a heads up, this is not going to be a, a DMIN study. It's not an MDiv study. This is going to be... Uh, and not an overly expansive study, but uh, I do have a couple of, of hopes with it. And that's, first of all, that we will be able to expand and sharpen our biblical worldview. I, I hope we as believers um, strive to see things as the Lord sees them. And how do we know how the Lord sees them? It's through his word and what he has shared with us in his word. And um, I, I'm, I'm passionate about a biblical worldview. It's something I sought to integrate as a Christian school teacher into the curriculum that I taught, which was primarily history and Bible, which is pretty easy to do. But when you start teaching math, it's a little bit more difficult uh, to get that biblical worldview. But math operates on laws, and we see throughout our universe we have an orderly universe, and God is the one who's responsible for those laws. And I, I guess my other goal is that as we get into some of these ideas around theology, and we are exposed to truth, we experience joy. 
And um, I don't know about you, but when, when, when I see something maybe on TV and um, th- there's an identification of truth and more specifically an identification with the Lord, I rejoice in that. And I hope your heart, when you encounter truth, um, you're able to experience that joy as well. And ultimately that joy should then kick over into an opportunity to bring glory to God, who is the author of truth. All right, so as I mentioned today, uh, we're going to start our uh, adventure into theology with a look at bibliology, and uh, just let's take a look at some Bible facts. Uh, I've, I've put a few up here on the, on the screen. Hopefully in the back you can see them. Uh, but as you know, the Bible, we've got 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, um, different genres have been broken down by our friends at gotquestions.org into these seven categories. And I appreciate when, when Pastor starts a new series, a new book, he likes to look at what is, the, what is the genre here. And I think that influences how he's going to go about teaching and preaching through that book. And so uh, hopefully as you think about the different books of the Bible, you can identify them within these different genres. By the way, does anybody know roughly, here's a trivia question, how many authors roughly uh, were part of the writing of the Bible? (laughs) One key author, right, that's going to be the focus of our lesson today. All right, let's put it this way. How many humans were utilized in the writing? 40, yeah, roughly 40. So... Uh, even though we've got 66 books, we've got about 40 or so uh, writers that God used uh, in the process of getting what we have today in, into our hands. Um, who is the most prolific writer in the New Testament? Paul. Paul, okay. How about the Old Testament? Yeah, I think it's Moses, right? Five, five books at the front, uh, the Pentateuch, and then also responsible for Job, so I, I think Moses wins that title. Uh, and a few psalms. We can't, we can't forget. Yeah, he gave us a few psalms, didn't he? All right, so objectives for this two- to three-week study. Uh, we're going to look at four aspects of Scripture. And again, we're basing this off of uh, this book. All right, so I, I'm not going to necessarily be the judge of what aspects because, as, as I mentioned earlier, there are seminary courses that can last a long time, and you can get very in-depth into any of these branches of theology. Uh, but we're going to look at four aspects of, of Scripture. Uh, we're going to identify key passages of Scripture related to these aspects. My, my hope for us is that we can, when asked about some of these questions, we can then go to Scripture and say, here's, here's how I know this is true as it relates to bibliology. We're going to also answer questions uh, related to understanding different interpretations of various passages. We'll get into that uh, here in the next week or so. And then we're going to look at some key terms related to bibliology. Okay, so that's a bit of a preview of what's coming up ahead. Today we're going to focus in on Scripture being authoritative the authority of Scripture. Now, if I were to ask you, just I'll try to do some polls some, um, with the audience from time to time, but when I, when I say the word authoritative, uh, what do you think of? How would you define the word authoritative? Yeah. 
And it doesn't necessarily have to be a scriptural answer. I'm just trying to get a baseline understanding of, of this term. Okay. A weight? Oh, okay. Yes, right. Good. Some weight behind what they're saying. I know KTTC, they're called the Weather Authority, right? <laughs> is, there, is there weight behind what they say? At last, last I heard last night, we were supposed to get four inches, uh, but certainly that has not happened yet. That might affect their authority level. I'm not sure. So more than just a surface level, right? Uh, Grant and then Florida and Wayne. Okay, so Wayne's point is this can be something delegated or given to others as well, right? So it's kind of using the same word, but I kind of think of it as the final authority Yeah, yeah, your last, I mean, this is where the answer resides, right? The, the final authority, yes, Eric. Interesting. Yeah, I, th I think that's true. There, there's this idea behind authoritative of there's this command, all right? If you can refer to something as being authoritative, there's a command to it. And yet there's also this reliability. Somebody said expert. Uh, there's this, you, you're going to trust, trust the experts, right? We've come to know that phrase pretty well in the last few years, trust the experts. Uh, yes, Doug? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, good, good answers. I think you've, you've all covered, covered this idea of what is authoritative very well. You know, it's interesting. I, I guess I want to start with a little bit of an illustration here. I don't know, do, you, do you all remember the CNN show Larry King Live? Some of you are probably too young to remember Larry King Live. Um, about 15 or 20 years ago, Sorry, I just looked outside. Maybe it will snow two to four inches today. I have to give that weather authority honor back to KTTC. Um, 15 to 20 years ago on Larry King Live, um, Pastor John MacArthur, 
was in a debate with then mayor of San Francisco, Gavin Newsom. And I, I think I saw this clip several years ago, and this helped me to really learn more about Pastor MacArthur. He wasn't in my circle, so I didn't know him too well, but I just loved the stance that he took. In this debate with then Mayor Newsom, he, they were talking about gay marriage, and I'll let you decide who was on which side. <laughs> um, but at one point in the argument, Newsom referenced, well, I'm, I'm part of the Catholic Church. And MacArthur stopped him right there and he said, oh, wait a minute, what's, what's your authority? And Newsom said, well, I, okay, all right. He realized he was caught because if he's saying I'm part of the Catholic Church, which then has a connection to God's word, he's going to be able to say, you ought to then be following God's word if you're part of the Catholic Church. So Newsom had to kind of awkwardly retrieve from his point of view because MacArthur asked that question, what is your authority? And really that is the question for all of us. What is our authority in the way we think and in the way we live our lives? And MacArthur would also say this, as we think about who are we following, you've got two key sets of opportunities to follow in this world. You've got human reason here, and you've got God's word here. And so we as Christians are challenged, I would say every day, uh, there is an onslaught out there to try to get us to move from what God has said to try to rationalize and reason and make sense um, in a humanistic way. It's good to think. Don't, don't get me wrong there. But I think our thinking ought to be grounded in God's word. Okay. Let's look at a few uh, internal proof texts that link God as the author of Scripture. And that's going to be our main focus today, is where in the Bible does it actually say Scriptures originate from God? We talked a little while ago about the 40 different human writers responsible for compiling the books of the Bible. But where does the Bible actually say God is the author, as John Made it clear when I said, all right, how many authors? One author, right? One author. So the first text I want us to consider is 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 16. And I apologize, I'm kind of echoey. Is there, Ryan or Jason, is there something I can do to, should I move this down? Or? Okay, all right, thank you. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 16, and I would encourage you to tuck this passage away if you have not already done so. Many of you have, I'm sure, but uh, tuck this as one of the key proof texts in the Bible that tells us Scripture originates from God. And here's what it says, and this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. And again, that scripture is pointing back to verse 15, sacred writings. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Uh, so I would say this is a central passage saying that it is breathed out by God. And this process is called inspiration, where the Holy Spirit 
in whatever shape, form, there are some things I will just stand up here in front of you over the next several weeks and say I can't fully explain, can't give you a play-by-play -play breakdown of how this happens, but the Holy Spirit has moved upon these writers exactly what God intended for us to have. And I think there is a Greek, Greek word, I think it's called theonoustos, theonoustos. Um, and there you see Theo for God, Neustos for breathing. Um, and you can see that. I remember because of pneumonia, P-N-E-U, and there's that Neustos, second part of that Greek word. And then another key term to lock in, besides what inspiration means, is verbal plenary. So going back to verse 16, it's not just parts of Scripture. We see that all Scripture, that's the idea behind plenary, there's a completeness to everything we have in our scripture being God-breathed. Okay, so that may have been the most familiar passage, at least it was for me, uh, in terms of where does the Bible say that God, who I think we all will agree is the ultimate authority, is the author of the Bible. A couple of other maybe not as familiar passages that point to that. 2 Peter 1.21 is an example of the New Testament referring to the Old Testament as scripture. And you see here it says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I believe the idea of prophecy there can relate not only to the Old Testament, but also to the New Testament. The next passage is an example of the New Testament referring to the New Testament as scripture. And that's 2 Peter three fifteen through 16. And Peter writes and says this, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. You say, well, I don't see anything there that says that scripture yet. Well, keep watching. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Peter is kind of empathizing a little bit there with, with, uh, with the readers which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So there it is. You see the connection there that Paul's writings, uh, we just acknowledged he is the most prolific New Testament writer earlier, uh, his work is considered scriptures. And there's no question that Peter and Paul knew at the time of their writings they were given the apostolic authority to be writers of scripture. They were taking what God was sharing with them and sending it abroad. So it wasn't just, these are truths that apply across time, even though many of them were letters to, if not individuals, to churches uh, back in that era. Okay, here's a really interesting verse, if, you, if you're not familiar with it. And this is, this is an example of where the New Testament refers to both the Old Testament and the New Testament as scripture in one verse. And that's 1 Timothy 5.18. For the scripture says... You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Well, the first part of this verse comes from Deuteronomy 25.4. The second part of, the, of this verse comes from Luke 10.7. So you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament identified as Scripture in one verse. Paul writing to Timothy here. Uh, so, again, we're just looking at some proof text. How do we know what is written down that we have in our Bible is God's word? 
And so hopefully these, these are encouragements to you today. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about the content. So we looked a little bit at some uh, biblical examples of where it refers to other parts of the New Testament as scripture within the New Testament, where it looks at the Old Testament, identifies uh, verses, uh, folks broadly when it says prophets uh, as scripture. But what about the content? A couple of key terms here, uh, if you're not as familiar with them, sometimes these terms can be interchanged, but I'm trying to parse them out a little bit more for us today. So God's word, if it comes from God, it's got to be what? Inerrant. That means there's no chance for error. God is not capable of error, and that includes anything he communicates to us. It's also said to be infallible. So there's this aspect of God's word that is infallible. Very similar concept. Again, you've got the idea of true, trustworthy, and it is incapable of failing in its purpose. We know that God says, my word will not return to me void. So we see that even explained a little bit to us uh, from God himself. Uh, But I would, again, point back to who is the source of this content. It is God. And because of God's nature, we know he is holy and he is incapable of making a mistake. Uh, in In the book here, Grudem's book that we're working through, he talks a little bit about what you see at the very end of this slide. Not only is God's word the source of truth, but it also contains true words. So let's think about this for a second. Um, I, you, me, all of us, we are capable of speaking words that are true, right? Hopefully we're in a habit of that. Um, We want to reflect our Lord, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, But we are not the ultimate source of truth. All right, see the difference there? So you've got the source of truth, the Bible, the content of Scripture. They are true words, but only one can be directly linked to God. And that is as the ultimate source, the ultimate arbiter of truth. And because this is something only God can do, this also, the source of truth, should be our gauge by which we measure everything else by by the way we live, by the way we think, um, by the way we communicate. This is our source of truth. Okay, now, God in his divine purpose decided that to share what he wants us to know through the scriptures, he was going to use humans, right? We talked generally about roughly 40 of them that he's used over the course of 66 books. And... um, You know, could he have painted everything up in the sky, I suppose? Could he have handed it down like he did maybe originally to some of these writers orally where they heard his voice and that gets passed down from generation to generation? But I think you see the problem with that, right? You ever played the game Telephone? So that would be a bit problematic. But in his divine authority, he chose human writers to take what he shared with them, copy it, and preserve it. And he had a plan just to do that. And the different means that he used. So you think about a common practice in the Old Testament where God spoke directly to a human writer. Many times this was a prophet. And so the prophet would take what God shared, share with the people, write it down, and that was one method. Another method was 
information would be passed along to the writer from witnesses and sources. And I'm citing a couple of the Gospels here. I think of Mark, um, and so the second Gospel, the shortest of the Gospels, written by John Mark. But who was he really getting a lot of that information from? I think I heard it. Peter. Yes, Peter, thank you. And then with Luke, Luke was not an apostle. He was a physician, but he did a great job. If you look at verses 1 through 3 of Luke 1, he explains what he did, and that is gathered information, wrote it down, made sure we had an accurate record of what Christ did while he was on this earth. And then another means that was used through these human writers and this was, you know, predicted a little bit with what Jesus said in John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit reminded the writer of what Christ had said. And we see this playing out after the Gospels quite a bit in the New Testament, where the Holy Spirit, during that process of, of inspiration, as, as they come upon the writer, are able to remember uh, what Christ had shared uh, during that time. So God also used unique traits and personality of each author. So I'm just, just curious, uh, if you think back about some of the writers of the Old Testament or New Testament, are there any traits or characteristics that stand out to you about any of the writers of God's Word? Wayne. Okay, good. The pre precision of the physician. Right. Eric. I guess the opposite of that, I would say John, who wrote later in his writings, the Gospel of John and Revelation, you know, are the latest. Uh, right. All the writings of the New Testament. And I think that the Holy Spirit, because of that, that was really instrumental in inspiring him to remember, but also to feel, again, what it was like. It's a good, good point. He's the disciple that Jesus loved, very relational. You can, you can see that. And then as you think about some of those later books that we have in the Bible, First John, I think there's a lot of love even, even talked about there. So that's, that's a good example. Ben? Yeah, you, you see David's full heart, don't you? You see the ups and the downs uh, throughout the Psalms. So, yeah, thank you. Good, good examples. Okay. So, some of you are thinking like I was thinking, and you're thinking, wait a minute, we've got holy scriptures from God. If, if God's going to use humans to 
write these out, is that going to maybe mess up the equation a little bit, right? Um, bringing in that human error. We are, unlike God, we are fallible. We, we make mistakes. Uh, we, we are sinners. Um, so this is a challenge that has come up, and unfortunately, uh, this challenge to biblical authority has come many times from religious folks. It's not, it's not just the world, which, of course, has always been opposed to God and God's word and God's plan, but many times it has come from those who have had some connection to faith, or we might call them religious. And I'm talking specifically about uh, movements in the late 1800s, early 1900s, where you've got religious liberalism that kicks in. And really, essentially what they were trying to do is think more along the lines of human reason going away from faith and trust in God's word. And isn't that what we said at the start with what John MacArthur, identifying the two camps? You either are going to follow God's word or you're going to follow man's reason. And we started seeing that happen in the late 1800s and the early 1900s with religious liberalism. And that's where some of the greatest challenges to the authority and the veracity of scripture took place. Um, And I know there are a few in this room uh, who can identify. I'm not sure what happened. I think my PowerPoint froze, but that's okay. Um, can identify with another example of folks who come from a religious background and they are questioning the true authority of God's word. Can any of you think of certain churches that exist that would maybe bring down the authority of God's word? Say it again. I, th- I think I heard a response. Word of faith, okay. What other churches have said, we're going to bring down the authority of God's word and we're going to elevate what we as mankind can, can say about matters? Catholicism, exactly. And I, I know my mom was saved out of the Catholic church. I've heard testimonies from a few of you um, that have been saved out of the Catholic church. And here's another example where they're saying, we're going to look at our traditions and we're going to elevate them to the point of Scripture. And I don't, I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that in the Bible. But they are so entrenched in these traditions and they will try to make the case that, well, see, you've got to have mankind making the decisions because they were part of the writing of Scripture. So you can see how they make that leap, but we always have to go back and say, is that what God says in his word? Is that where we get our ultimate um, guide and source for faith and practice? Exactly, exactly. Tina? My mom's favorite is uh, a very old order of Mennonites. And uh, she got in trouble with her bishop because she was studying the Bible. And he told her that's dangerous. That's what? Dangerous. Dangerous. Dangerous to be studying the Bible. And, and this was not that long ago. Ten years ago. Ten years ago. So those stories were common during the time of the Reformation, Right? when you've got all these reformers who are trying to bring the truth of God's word back to the light, 
I mean, there's a reason why from 500 to 1500 it was called the Dark Ages, because they had put away God's word, they had removed the authority of God's word, and they were just trusting in church tradition, right? And that's exactly what I think you were referring to there. So sadly, we've seen faith-based groups who have, in their own way, tried to attack the authority of God's word. And I apologize, my, my PowerPoint has frozen, but the good news is we're getting close to the end of time, so that's, that's good. I guess I just want to leave us uh, today with a couple of questions. First of all, um, why, and this is again pulling the audience here, why is it important that we have an authoritative word from God that we stand on for everything we do, everything we think, everything we say? Why is it important, John? And, and man always stays the same, right? They're, they're reliable. Human reason. We love the human reason. Very powerful. So good. Thank, thank you, John. What else? Why, why, why is it important? Think, think about the age we live in right now. Why is it such a key that we have an authoritative word of God to stand on? Grant? I think the word been up there all along. We need an authoritative uh, message. And I think with that, we're going back to some of these things about churches training themselves is you know, by your fruit there, fruit you shall know them. I think that's important for us to identify. I think the spirit is to will guide us. A lot of mutations, huh? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, these are crazy times. I, I watch my two girls growing up in this world we live in, and I think back to when I was a teenager, and it's like, wow, I... I'm glad I'm not growing up in the world they're growing up today um, because there's this phrase out there now, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called, what's your truth? What's your truth? So human reason now tells people that you can have your own truth. You can have your own hold on truth. It sounds great, right? It'd be, it'd be nice if we did, I suppose. And we as Christians do have access to the source of truth, thankfully. But we've got to remember, we are not the arbiters of truth. But praise the Lord, we know the one who is. And as much as I like being a, a Baptist, because I line up with, you know, the Baptist, what do you call those? Uh, Baptist distinctives. distinctives, thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. It's been a while since I took that in college, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, Baptist distinctive, spell out B-A-P-T-I-S-T. 
I won't go through those because it will take me 10 minutes to remember. Um, well, I'm thankful to be in a Baptist church, and I praise the Lord that I'm a believer and that his grace has shined upon me. Uh, he has called me. I strive more than being a Baptist to be a biblicist. So I challenge all of us to connect to God's word, be in God's word, expose yourself to God's word. While the internet does have a lot of garbage and chaos, there is a lot of truth to be found in helpful resources as I shared at the very start on the internet too. So, so please, um, lock into God's word. And I, I, know, I know we do as a church and that's why you faithfully attend Sunday school, um, trying to learn more and more about truth. I mean, they are very, you know, I think people are very aware of, boy, there's so many fakes out there, and there are so many cultish type places yeah. that are drawing you in. Right. They want to be certain that they're dealing with a group that has a solid foundation that really are the truth. Right. Um, and it was amazing to me, just as mm. to how, I think people get that they know that there's a lot of bad stuff out Interesting. Good, good testimonial, and welcome back, Doug and Gina. Welcome back to beautiful Minnesota. <laughs> uh, so. We brought back some warm weather, but it's just been old. <laughs> <It> just, <laughs> just didn't want to stick around. Yeah, thank you, thank you for doing that. So, okay, and uh, happy birthday to my friend Mike Zemple today. And um, I, I, I only know it's his birthday because it's my mom's birthday, so that's the only way I remember Mike's birthday, so April 16th. Well, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Uh, it's, it's about quarter after. Uh, next week, we may have our next lesson in bibliology, or we may do something else. We'll just see how the Spirit leads. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the anchor of truth that it is for us. Um, Lord, we pray as we take a look at some of, some of the attributes of Scripture over the next week or two that uh, we would be challenged to to dive in and lock in and even identify areas in our lives where um, it's not authoritative, when it should be authoritative. So we pray for your spirit to, to help help point those areas out. So we pray that we would be like the Bereans, um, searching the scriptures even after we've been presented with the truth from the scripture. So, Lord, we know this is from you. We thank you for how you preserved your word for us, uh, we thank you that we do have this rock that we can cling to that has stood the test of time despite challenges from even within those who, who claim, claim a connection to faith. So we pray that we would, we would glorify you in the way we live. And we pray again, Lord, that we would be students and lovers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.